Hey, if you're a guest this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you are here to uh, celebrate Good Friday with us and what that means for us. And uh, if you're exploring faith and you uh, haven't found faith in God or you're cynical or skeptical or unsure, we're so glad you are here. And hopefully something we say this morning would be helpful for you in understanding God. Um, recently, I was driving over um, near Macaulay's Headland. And you know the massive complex that they're building there, which I think is a retirement center? Um, it's just a behemoth of a place. I was watching these builders work and it got me thinking, man, imagine the, the blueprint for that building. Like the, the, the design would be just extraordinary. And it got me thinking, like the, these builders that are constructing this thing, how often would they have to refer to that blueprint in order to make sure they are on track with building that facility in, in a way that the architect had designed that facility to be built? And I have to say, like, I'm not into construction. There's a bunch of builders in our church that would know more than I would. But, but I would assume that it'd have to be multiple times on a daily basis that they would be referring back to that blueprint of how to actually construct this thing. And as I'm thinking of this thing, oh, man, because I'm not, like, I'm the kind of guy that sees a, fl a flat pack from Ikea and I start to weep. Um, uncontrollably and I just cry like I, I I'm not gifted at that sort of thing and and my masculinity is really called into question because my wife goes just give it here I'll do it and then she does all that for me and uh, God bless her and so so I'm just fascinated by this building and the process and, and it got me thinking God, God's word the, the Bible it's kind of like the architect's blueprint for building the life he's designed for us that God is the ultimate architect of life. And he has left humanity, the Bible, to help instruct us and guide us in how to build a life that he has designed for us to have. And God has an incredible life for you, an incredible life for me in store. And he wants us to get on the dance floor and party with him to make that life a reality. But we do ourselves a great disservice and a great injustice when we don't read the blueprint he leaves for us to live our life well. The reason Mark can have so much joy in the face of turmoil, and if you listen carefully to what he was saying, he probably spoke about eight or nine scriptures just in that couple of sentences he said then. Because the Word of God is in him so deeply, it has formed him and shaped him and has developed him into living the life he has because he is constructing his life according to the master plan of how life ought to be lived to the fullest. And it's all because of Jesus. I, I am unapologetically um, high on Christology. That my theology revolves highly and solely around the person of Jesus. And I'll always preach Jesus. I was asked yesterday, did you get nervous at Easter or Christmas when you preach? No, because every Sunday is an Easter or Christmas message in one way or another. It's all going to point us back to Jesus every single week. Because that's, that's all I have is the message of Jesus. And I kind of feel that's all we need. There's a saying that I've had rolling around in my head for, for a number of years, probably about seven or eight years, and um, you've probably heard me say it before, and it's just something that continue to re continues to reverberate inside my heart and inside my mind, and, and it's this simple, simple phrase. When the good news becomes old news, it's bad news. When the good news becomes old news, it's bad news. And that doesn't mean the good news itself and the essence of the teaching of the good news just becomes bad. It's always good. 
but it's actually bad news for us when it becomes so familiar, so stale, so old, so, oh, here we go again. We're just going to go through the motions. As soon as your spiritual life and your faith life is just going around the motions and it becomes old news, as soon as we get that here we go again spirit inside of us, it's really bad because it, it derails us from the plans and purposes God has for us. We've got to remind ourselves, the Bible says, encourage ourselves in the Lord to keep our, 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 our spirit fresh and alive. And so this morning, I want this message for us to be about refreshing and remembering our faith. It's Good Friday. Jesus' death, his crucifixion. So I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. Um, I'm really going to open God's Word as a blueprint this morning and start to highlight a few things that are really important for the construction of our lives. And so if you want to read along with me, um, you can either swipe on your screen or you can flick in your page, whichever way you read Scripture, that's fine. But we're going to jump in Matthew chapter 27. It's really easy to remember. Matthew 27, 27. Joe, that is beautiful, by the way. And uh, he's wearing his Easter shirt this morning. Love it. A war on death was waged. So good. So here we go. Matthew 27, 27. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Then the soldiers of the governor. So Jesus at this stage, just to catch you up to speed, uh, he'd been arrested, captured, um, put on trial, convicted, sentenced. Uh, so Judas had betrayed him. Thanks for that. One of Jesus' closest disciples sold him out, 30 bags of silver, 30 pieces of silver. And, and Jesus was arrested, captured, uh, sentenced. And here we pick up the story. Where the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. So let that picture paint in your mind. Jesus is captured. All the soldiers have marched him into HQ. He is out of the public eye. He's in a private setting in a room filled with his accusers alone. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. That's intimidating. Have you ever been pulled over by the cops? And as soon as you, hear the, you see the siren, your heart just starts beating. And like you've done nothing wrong, but the fact that there's a cop pulled you over is just like so terrifying. And this is one, one person in a uniform. But here, here we have a whole battalion who has taken him into the governor's headquarters. That is just a picture of ultimate intimidation. And what did they do to him? They stripped him. Verse 28. Stripped him naked. Bare. Vulnerable. Like this is bad. This is a guy that did no bad thing. He was a good person. By, by all measures and standards of what good people are. He only lived to serve and help and teach and, and bless and heal people. But here he finds himself brought straight into a place of massive intimidation. Stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, symbolizing like kingship. So they, 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 they made fun of him. It's like, oh, here's, here's Jesus. Oh, here he is. All right, boys, let's just strip him naked and let's do, do Jesus dress-ups. So he thinks he's the king of the Jews, so let's put him into king's clothes. Oh, how cute is he? Let's put a scarlet robe on him. Oh, look at King Jesus. Oh, isn't he good? Like, it was absolutely 
putrid how they were treating him. And it gets worse. They twisted together a crown of thorns, because kings wear crowns, right? But not a beautiful crown made of rubies and jewels that sits nicely on his head. They twisted together a crown of thorns, and then they shoved it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. They took all the the fancy dress-up clothes off him. They put his own clothes back on him and then led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes and garments and casted them by lots. Matthew's gospel doesn't recall it, but Luke's does in chapter 23, verse 34, where in this, about in this moment where this crucifixion is happening, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the middle of his crucifixion, of his torment, of his torture, his mission is still the first thing on his mind. To the actual people who are causing the pain and the torment, Jesus reaches out in 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 an attempt of prayer to say, God, forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they know not what they do. We, We could easily think that Jesus was looking way down the track to us who are nice people. We would never torment Jesus. We might be, you know, do silly things from time to time. But Jesus was looking down the barrel of all humanity and knowing that his mission was to seek and save the lost of all generations. And so maybe he's looking down the barrel of future generations who are nicer people to say, Father, forgive them in their sin and and this is what I'm doing for them. But no, no, he's talking about those who are actually spitting, the, the, the saliva of those in front of him that is dripping down his face. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they do. I know what I'm doing. I know what they're doing to me. This is my mission. This is the only reason I came to earth. I am God incarnate in flesh, come to save the lost. And they think I'm an idiot. They think I'm... A, a maniac and a lunatic. They've just taken me to the headquarters, stripped me down, played dress-ups with me as a, as a fool. But Father, forgive them. So even in the midst of his pain, his mission was first in mind. And over his head, they put the charge against him. Again, mocking him. And the sign read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, For he who said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land. 
until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their tombs after his resurrection, they went in the holy city and appeared to many. That's Joe's favorite scripture, isn't it, Joe? The the dead rise, and he's like, what does that mean? Another time, another time. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. There were so many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in, a clean, in clean linen and laid it on his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days he will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. the story of Jesus. This is what today's all about. This is the significance of Good Friday. Jesus' crucifixion. So why? Why did he do it? Why would Jesus suffer so much? If Jesus was the Son of God, man, why? Well, it's a thing called substitutionary atonement. Substitution obviously means in, in replace of. An atonement means like an, an expiation or, or, or a, a fixing, an amending of something. So people are broken in their sin and there's a price to pay for that sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So Jesus became the substitution in our place. Instead of us, he paid the price of sin and death on the cross so that we now can live in the freedom of life he has for us. That is the beauty of the Easter message. Hebrews 10.10 We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That Jesus sacrificed his life so that you and I and all who would find faith in him would be sanctified. Because all have sinned, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And if you're here last Sunday, we, we had a great message looking at how bad we are as people. It was 
really a bit of a bit of a dud, to be honest. Looking at the blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So if we aren't seeing God, maybe our hearts aren't pure. And the reason why so many people in our world cannot see God is because our hearts are not pure. We have to have our hearts purified in order to see God. And when we see God, we're blessed. Well, why, why are our hearts so dark? Well, Jesus teaches us that from our heart come things like evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, um, false witness, slander, all these things flow out of our heart. He says it's the heart that defiles us, Matthew 15, 11. Jeremiah paints an even worse picture. He says, you know what? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So the heart is dark. The heart of people is dark because of sin. Sin is, it is the act of doing things that are in opposition to how God would have us live. Sin is if we have the blueprint in front of us and we, we fail to build our life in accordance to how, how, how the architect designed our life to live. That, that is sin, but also we, we are born with a sinful nature. So it's more than just the acts or the behaviors we do, it's actually who we are on the inside. And the hard thing is, John, John, 1 John 1 5 says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So if our hearts are dark, no wonder we can't see God. No wonder our hearts must be pure because once they're pure, then we can see God because He is light. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we'd be forgiven of that sin. There would be a, a sacrificial atonement for the sin nature in us to be completely forgiven and restored. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's not waiting for you and I to get our act together. Even in the middle of him getting scourged and flogged and beaten, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the midst of them, while they were still doing the act of crucifixion, God was still pouring out his forgiveness and his plan for redemption for humanity. I remember when Anna and I got married 19 years ago and I made a commitment that I would be devoted to her and serve her and protect her for the rest of our life. Because that's kind of what marriage is, right? And, and my commitment to her brings her safety and security, brings her comfort. Like I'm all for equality in marriage. It's unpopular these days to talk about men being the house of the home because that's offensive and that's just feeding the whole patriarchy thing but the scriptures talk about the the husband being the head of the house how we interpret that is we are absolutely equal value equal worth we make decisions about our finances about our future about how to raise our kids everything we do we do together because the two become one flesh right but at the end of the day if someone bursts into our house who stands up and takes the bullet me Ten times out of ten. I will, I will take the full price and consequence of any drama or violence against our family. I'm the one that will put myself on the line. I'm the one that will take the bullet. Because that's the role, that's what it means to be the head of the house, right? Is to take ultimate responsibility for those within your care. 
And up until that point, we are equal in making those decisions. But at that moment, I take full responsibility. And so I made that commitment to her 19 years ago. And I know through conversations we've had the, the comfort and the peace that that, and the strength that, that she draws from that. that. That one day, if this should ever happen, that I know that I am secure because you will get me. And see, the Bible describes Christians, the church, as the bride of Christ, right? But Jesus doesn't promise that he will stand up for us and he will take a bullet for us. He already did 2,000 years ago. He's not promising one day I'll look out. He already has demonstrated that on the cross. That once and for all sacrifice for our sins to restore us back to the Father. He has done that. He has demonstrated that to us. We can have the full safety and assurance that He has pushed back all of hell and its minions to make us secure in Him. Did you just say minions? Yeah, I just said minions. For our sake... He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans 5.18. Just as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteousness. Because of Jesus, Romans 3.24, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So when the good news becomes old news, it's bad news. When we forget to remember the bigness of what Jesus has done for us and the significance that, that holds for us today, it's bad news because we rob ourselves of living the life that God has called us to live. We rob ourselves of the blessing that comes from being a child of the Most High God. We find ourselves walking out of step with how the architect has designed our life to be. And no wonder we're wobbly and no wonder we find things going difficult. No wonder when hardship comes, we're sort of, oh, where am I going to go? We have built our house, our life on sand and when the storms of life come, guess what happens? We come crumbling down. But if we build our life on the solid rock, which is a constant reminder of who we are in Christ, the revelation of Jesus and what he has done for us, then no matter what happens in life, we can stand. Matthew 7, 24, read it. It's amazing. So my plea to you here this morning, especially to the Christian. Those who have faith, I don't care if your faith is new or old or, or how big or wide your faith and your experience with God is, I'm pleading for you today on Good Friday to don't let the good news become old news because it's bad news. We rob ourselves of the life God has for us today and the blessing God wants us to be for others in the world around us. Because we're called to a life more than just for ourselves, right? It's more than just, oh, I, I've got salvation. I'm righteous in Jesus. He's done stacks for me, so I'm all right. No, 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 no. Because he first loved us, we can now go love others. And we should love others. We're not saved because we've done good works. We're saved because of his good works that allows us to go and do good works as a response to his great love for us.
So let's take these representations of the body of Jesus and the bread. Let's all peel together now because it's going to make a noise. So we'll just get that out of the way. All in one harmonious swipe. There it is. Oh. I might ask the band to come and rejoin me. So today we remember the death of Jesus. We just read the, the bulk of, well, probably half of chapter 27. We're going to pick this up on Sunday morning, jumping into chapter 28. And we're going to look at then what, what life is like on the back end of what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is leading up to it, Jesus' death. Him being the substitutionary atonement for our sin. Him dying in our place, paying the price of sin because the wages of our sin, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that, the consequence of that is death, but Jesus paid that. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. So I want us to be thankful for that this morning. I want us to remember what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. So the band's going to lead us in a beautiful song. I want us just to sit wherever you are in your own time, in your own space. Take whatever this is. I literally have no idea um, what it is or what it's made from. But I'm told it's edible. So you can take this to remind you of the body of Jesus that was broken. Take yourself back to the governor's headquarters where he was taunted and mocked and spat on and, and doled up and just beaten and bruised. And, and this is the blood that was shed for our sin, to, to finalize the, the sacrifice, to, to finish him being that atoning sacrifice for us. And let's remember that he did it all for us because he loved us and he willfully did it. Let's think about that and we'll just listen to this beautiful song to help us in that journey. And right now is just a few moments just between you and God. Thanks, team.